Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low and the one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh." The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word spoken to us. And Father, I pray for the help of your Holy Spirit that this word will be active in our own hearts, that we would not just hear it in our own ears, but we would receive it with our hearts. Father, would you help me to speak with you and alongside of you? God, I pray that you would help us to forget anything that is not of you. Help us, God, to remember what exactly the preacher has encouraged us to remember, that our lives may be full and rich with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are, we are at the very end of our series on Ecclesiastes. I'm really grateful to, to Ben for, for preaching last week. It was great for me to be able to just be here and listen as somebody uh, sitting in the pews. Um, and I'm, I'm glad today that we get to finish this book together. This might be the most amount of time you've ever spent in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, so you're welcome. Um, we're, we'll have one more week together, uh, just sort of a standalone, and then uh, we'll be in Advent. Advent will be here starting the next Sunday. Uh, so buckle up. Here we go. This book, um, as we've said time and time again, is designed to make you consider and contemplate what you otherwise might like to forget. You are going to die. If you haven't heard that enough in the past uh, several months... Here it is again. You're going to die. And then, actually, this whole chapter is an encouragement for you to consider precisely that truth. You were opening this book with this reminder that you're going to be forgotten 
Uh, you're going you're gonna to go away. The world will never remember that you ever existed. And that's sort of the, the foundation upon which he starts examining every piece of life. How does any of this matter if you're going to pass away and be forgotten? What, is, what does it really matter? And the ending piece of, of the book is a reminder to, again, you're going to die and you should think about it. The opening section of this chapter these, is this long poetic dis- description of what it means to grow old. He's describing the experience of having your body fail. And you can see it in the way that he talks about the evil days drawing near. The sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. The clouds return after the rain. He's describing the experience of the light fading and your vision becoming cloudy because of your eyes weakening or because of cataracts or things like that. When the day, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men are bent, the grinders cease uh, because they're few, the, your teeth, you start to lose teeth and your ability to, to chew food. He talks about uh, the experience uh, of uh, being afraid more easily, of, of waking earlier and, and not being able to sleep through the night. All of these are experiences that if you spend time with people who are advanced in age, you will know that this is part of their experience. And he's describing all of these things and saying, all of these things are coming to you. And they are coming for you. So, before you get to this point in your life, you should think about your death. And if you spend time with people who are closer to this stage of life or in this stage of life, you know that it is far more frequent to be thinking about death. They are more comfortable with the the incoming experience of death. A great many of the people that they have loved as friends, as spouses, they're gone. Death means something different to people at the end of their life. And the preacher is saying, before you get there, think about your death. And this is, in fact, a a relatively common Christian practice called memento mori. Some some spiritual orders who live in monasteries or or convents uh, take it to extremes. They'll spend the night in coffins. They will uh, rebury old and dead monks' bones. They'll keep skulls on desks put images like scythes and harvested wheat all over things to constantly be reminded, I'm going to die just like every other person who's ever lived in this monastery. I'm not saying you should go sleep in a coffin necessarily, but the exercise of considering your death is a good one. Recently, uh, not this past summer, but the last one, I was taking a class in spiritual formation and we were sent away from class from the afternoon to do precisely this, to meditate on our own death. And our professor gave us questions to ask of ourselves and to ask of God. If I were to die now, immediately, what would happen to my spouse? What would happen to my children? What would grieve me? As I contemplate that, what would relieve me and bring me joy? Let me tell you, not my favorite afternoon, 
But the things that it stirred up and provoked in me were important and prompted conversation with my own family when I got back. The, the things that I imagine in that conversation are not fake. They're real. You have to consider the fact that you are going to die. Now, here in the text, the preacher stops talking. I told you before, there are actually two voices in the book of Ecclesiastes. You, you hear this other voice at the beginning in the introduction, and then the preacher starts talking around about chapter 2. The preacher stops talking here. At this concluding paragraph is this other voice, this narrator. If you are going to die, and if there is seeming no resolution to some of the questions that have been asked in Ecclesiastes, what about, what about all these terrible rulers? What about the, the purposelessness of wealth? What about the wicked triumphing when they ought to be failing? He doesn't answer any of these things necessarily. And so if, if his concluding thought is, well, you're just going to die, and you should probably think about that. What does that have to do then with the preacher's life? And the narrator tells you what happens in the preacher's own life. And what we might expect when you hear this news is that the preacher kind of sits in a dark room, maybe staring at a candle or a skull for the entirety of his days until life is over. But that's not what the preacher does. Look at what the preacher does. The preacher taught the people knowledge arranging Proverbs, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. His life is full. He is busy. He is, in fact, not saying that his life has nothing for him. His life feels very full. He says, the words of the wise are like goads, the pointy sticks that you move sheep or ox down the road, and like nails firmly fixed on the collected sayings. They are trustworthy. You can Hang your hat on them. You can add weight to these words and they will bear them. His words and his life is full of meaning. How can that be true? The preacher says repeatedly over and over and over again, it does not seem to matter whether I pursue riches or wisdom or pleasure or any of the things of this world. It all gets erased by death, and yet he lives a life full of those things. Why? The beginning of chapter 12 presents the first instruction that we hear in the book of Ecclesiastes that fully shifts your perspective when he says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. The book of Ecclesiastes begins with a perspective that everything under the sun is passing away. It's mist, it's vaporous, it's smoke being driven by the wind. Everything under the sun, all of these things, wisdom, pleasure, everything, it's all going to be gone and forgotten. Everything under the sun is this. And yet here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the, the gaze of the preacher rises above what is under the sun, and instead examines the world above the sun. Everything under the sun is vaporous because it will fall away. It is mortal. It is passing. But the nature of the Creator God is that He is not passing. He is, in fact, the one who is not entrapped by a world under the sun. He is the one who lives above the sun and Himself will endure all things. 
so that everything in this world may be forgotten, you and I may be forgettable, but he is the remembering God who will never pass away. And so the, the instruction is reduced. It is summarized by the narrator. It all comes down to this thing. Fear God and keep his commands. This is the whole point of the book. Because it is the whole point, he is saying, of your life and mine. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The end. It is not particularly popular or pleasant for many people to meditate on this truth, not just that you will die, but that you will be judged. But it is vital in considering and contemplating the questions that the preacher has brought up you examine your life. See, this is, this is the purpose, in many ways, of Scripture, that we are, are coming into conflict, con confrontation, into conflict with the true things of the world about God and who He is. It, it may not be, at first blush, particularly pleasant to hear this truth. You're all going to die. You're going to be forgotten. But God sees and remembers everything, and he will judge you. But the preacher is saying that this is essential. If you're going to ask the question of what you ought to do with your life, you have to answer that question with this one inarguable truth in mind, that God is not going to pass away. He is not going to be forgotten, or he, and he is not going to forget. So what you do in answer to these questions about what you do with your, your pain and your pleasure and wickedness and, and unwise rulers and all the things that the, the preacher has talked about, it has to be done in sight and in view of this God. And in fact, this truth that the eternal God sees and cares about everything that you do, in fact, brings meaning to your entire life. If there is no God, if there is no God who sees, if there is no God who remembers, then the preacher's questions are valid. And the, and the implication is troubling in how true they might be. What is the point? What is the point of pursuing anything other than the pleasure of the moment if this is all there is? Even your commitment to be an ethical and good person for the sake of other people, that's nice and is pleasant, but if it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. Ultimately, you should live for you. But implicitly, so many of us, whether you're Christian or not, understand that this kind of life is not something that we can embrace. Something in us recoils at a life that is just for me and for my own pleasure in the moment. And that is because you and I were not made for that kind of life. You and I were actually made for a kind of meaning that we are craving and longing for, and you may reject it in the church, but you are looking for it somewhere. 
And your only answer might be that I must create my own meaning, blinding yourself from pretending like that's a good enough answer, knowing that you've really only created a thin varnish over the meaninglessness of the other. You will look for meaning in your life because you are human, you were made for it, and you crave it. And the preacher is saying there is actually real and true meaning in the world. Because your life was meant to be lived before and in connection to the creator who lives over the sun and will not fade. He will not perish. And he sees everything. That means that your whole life has meaning. There is no part of your life that does not matter in view of the creator God. Every single possibility of your day is a thing done in light of the Creator. Your vocation, you going to work, it really matters what you do on Monday through Friday. It really matters what you do with, with, your, with your charity or your not charity. It really matters how you conduct your friendships. It really matters that you are bitter and harboring unforgiveness against that person, even though nobody else sees or cares. Everything matters because God, the creator, sees everything, everything. And even the secret things will be brought to the light. This is the only way that I, as a Christian, as a pastor, can really and truly talk with myself and with others about sin. How can I talk to somebody about why they should deny themselves pleasure unless the creator God is actually real and present? How can I look at somebody and say, look, marriage and intimacy go together. If you are single, gay, or straight, you should honor the bounds of marriage between a man and a woman. How can I look at somebody and say, you should deny yourself that kind of intimacy and pleasure for your whole life? Unless I can also look at them and say, the pleasure of knowing and loving God is superior to the passing pleasure of marriage or any other relational intimacy that you can find. And... The suffering that you experience in your loneliness is not all that there is in your story. The pleasures of sin are passing and fleeting. And the sufferings of this life will not have final say. And that is true of any kind of sin that you can throw out on the list. It is true of the sin of your own resentment and unforgiveness. It is true of the sin of your own selfishness and materialism. It is true of any kind of sin. The only way it makes sense at all to say no to sin ultimately and truly is to understand that you were made for the creator God who will transcend all all of the petty yeses that you are foregoing and all the consequences and pains of the no's that you offer out to the world. 
This creator God sees all and will not pass away, even if it feels like your life is being sucked away by the tide of time and suffering. And the good news is, you are not meant to hear this command in fear. Now you're saying, it literally says fear. It says, fear God and keep his commands. It's, it's right there on the label. You and I misunderstand what the biblical command and invitation is to fear God. We hear, fear God, keep his commands, because he's going to judge all things, and we automatically assume all that means is God is really big and scary, and he will get you if you break enough of the rules. The fear of God, biblically speaking, is much bigger and better than being afraid of him. In fact, the the instantaneous reaction to many people when they're confronted with God is fear. It is terror. Oh my gosh, I am going to die now. That is pretty much the universal experience of all the prophets when they see God in a vision. I'm going to die now. It is Peter's experience. And the rest of the disciples, when they see Jesus do big miracles, they say, get away from me. We're going to die. And every time that this happens, what is God's response to them? Do not be afraid. The fear of the Lord is not that you would be terrified before him, that you would run and hide from him because he's the big mean one with all the power who will crush you and steal from you all the little joys that you have in this life. The fear of the Lord is what you feel at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Something so awesome that it is both a little bit terrifying and something you just kind of want to fall into. When you experience those little moments of wonder and what we call awe, it is a tiny, tiny reflection, a fraction of what you were meant for in fearing God. God is bigger and in many ways more terrifying than you can possibly imagine. And yet, he is so much better than you can hope for. So that when you are confronted with who he is in his character, something in you does say, I'm going to die. And the other part of you says, If I'm going to die, there is no place I'd rather do it than before the beauty of his holiness. And the judgment that is coming for you, God himself has moved for you to not be afraid of because he has demonstrated for you his intended outcome on your behalf. When Jesus goes to the cross, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. 
When the one who John the Baptist pointed at as the Lamb of God throws himself on the sacrificial altar and the hand of the Father with the full willingness of the Son comes down to break his chest and break his body, it is so that you and I might see that judgment has come and it has come on his head and not mine. When he is resurrected from the dead, you are meant to see that the great enemy that stalks throughout the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes has ultimately been rendered toothless. Death is coming for you, but Jesus has come for death. So now... When you look at the the life that is given to you in God, full of meaning and richness and pleasure in Him, fully cognizant of the reality of death that is coming, you can see the beauty of His holiness in the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus. And you are overcome by awe for God and the beauty of His love for His people so that you yourself are invited to respond as the prophets did. I might die at a sight of his goodness, and I cannot imagine a better end to me. Because ultimately, the grave is robbed of its power. Now, when we look at our life and we say, everything is going to be examined, everything is going to be judged, you do not have to hear that with a word of fear and of terror. You do not have to embrace that and confront that truth all on your own. If you want to face that reality on your own two feet and all by yourself, you are free to do so. You are not encouraged to. If you want to hear the truth that death is coming, you will be judged by a creator who will forget nothing and never be forgotten. And you say, I want to face that creator all by myself. You can do that. In that case, that news is terrifying. Because when the, when the writer says he remembers everything, he remembers everything. The things that you have hidden, the things that are unseen, the things that you wish you could forget, the things about the world that are going wrong, flowing from you personally, he will see and remember every one of them. But you are invited to hear this news through the cross. The God who remembers and who judges is the God who has put himself on the altar. The God who would judge you has already spoken from the cross to say, it is finished. And if you are here today and you are afraid of the approach of death, I would say to you what the scriptures say so often when God comes into the story. Fear not. Fear not. When you are worried about how good or rich or full your life is, fear not. The sun has triumphed over the grave. 
And the life that comes from over the sun hasn't invaded the world under the sun. And one day all things will fall under the foot of the sun. And even those things that plague and plague us and befuddle us and trouble us, they will one day be resolved in the light of his face. Fear not. If the resurrection is true, then it will all be all right. And if you are here today and you are facing your own mortality, all by your lonesome, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that the only answer available to you, or so it seems, is in your own hands. You do not have to be alone. The God who will judge you is the same God who came to save you. And today you are being invited to see the cross and to know that it was for you. So today would you hear the good news of even your own death being conquered and come find your hope in Jesus who will surely never fade away and never fail. The Lord Jesus is here for you. Look to the Son and come to him that he might usher you in to the house not of dust, but the house of his sons and daughters, built with hands that will not fail and will not pass away. Would you come see Jesus today? I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to just give you just a a couple seconds to, to consider your own death and the invitation of God to come and to live in light of his face, to obey his commands that are pointing to life and to respond to him in the ways that you know that you have run far from him. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word that discomforts us and comforts us at the same time. God, would you open our minds and our hearts to the voice of your spirit that we might respond in light of your truth. Father, I thank you for the voice of these kids that are in the room. God, I thank you that as, as big and as strong and powerful and hopefully good as our kids might see us, you far surpass us as our Father. There's a confidence in our children about the world that we 
we mourn to see broken. And we know it inevitably will because we know the way the world is and we know we cannot hold them and keep them. And yet you tell us to be like them. You are the God who is that big and good and true. Father, I pray that you would be so clearly present with those who today are, are feel far from you, who are struggling with sin, who have outright rejected you. God, I pray that they would hear a word of invitation to come and find a, a life, meaning, and a hope that transcends even the inevitability of their own grave. Father, I pray that they would hear your mercy spoken for them. And Father, I pray for all those who are here today who have put their trust in you, but are battered and bullied by the world, who, who bear scars and bruises and open wounds from other people, from, from the world, from systems of power, from church people who don't even know how everything will make sense. And God, I, I pray that they would find their hope and their resolution, not in the answers to those questions, but in the presence of your love with them. Father, I pray that we would be people who are shaped not by the world that is under the sun, but instead we would be people who constantly are saying, remember your creator. Help us to see over the horizon of the sun's dominance that we might see the son of God. Father, we thank you for cracking the heavens, for bringing the world that is above the sun into this world that is under the sun. Father, would you help us to trust you and would you help us to live our lives with vigor, with joy, where every single thing matters. And we are free to, to embrace and to celebrate that without fear because we know judgment has been settled on our account. God, we thank you for your great love. It changes everything. I pray that all of us, no matter where we are in relation to you, would experience a drawing closer to that this morning. One step closer to you is one step closer to life. And we thank you for coming and presenting yourself here with us today. Let us hear and draw near. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.